Grace, mercy, and peace to each one of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your head with me? Gracious Father, you have promised that when your word goes forth, you will also accompany it so that it will not return to you void. We pray now that you would keep that promise to us, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if you like to go for walks in cemeteries, but if you like solitude, it's a nice place to take a walk. Usually there's not a lot of joggers out there and not a lot of people getting their exercise, maybe one or two, but not very many. I suppose that's because from a strictly human perspective, there's no place more plaintive, no sound that's more plaintive or woeful that leaves a person with a more empty feeling than the sound of the wind as it whips through the tombstones in a cemetery. It's a mournful sound made all the more plaintive, I think, because a cemetery is such a place of despair. Of course, that's a strictly human perspective. There is a better perspective with which to view a cemetery, and that's a biblical perspective. And that perspective is a perspective of hope, and it is written for us in our lesson for this morning, found in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. And here's what we read. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let's stop there for a minute. That's verse 12. And it doesn't make a lot of sense if we don't know the context. So let's provide a context, and then we'll go ahead and we'll read verse 13. If you've spent much time reading in Revelation, you know that John is writing a letter to seven churches. And by extension, that's the immediate context, but then by extension, he's also writing to you and me under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit gave a series of visions to John that he records in this letter. He tells the seven churches this series of visions that God has given him, and some parts are highly figurative, as you know if you've, if you've read it, and they describe a war that is taking place that Satan the devil and those who follow him, both demonic forces and human forces, will be waging against the followers of Christ. Excuse me just a second, there's a fly walking there. Speaking of, ah, now he's on me. <laughs> well, speaking of, <laughs> never mind. Anyway, uh, so they're waging war against the saints of God, against the followers of Christ. And persecution would occur, and some of the people to whom he is writing have already experienced persecution, and the persecution is going to intensify in the near future. And so he writes this letter to them. It will appear at times that Satan is winning this war, and you can read about that as you read in the book of Revelation. And the temptation to cave in and deny the Lord Jesus would be very intense for those people. If you read the end of the story, you'll also read that God's promises 
are true, they will hold true, and Jesus will win, and he will come back, and everyone, including the devil, will be judged at the end. And in verse 12 now, he shines the spotlight on those Christians who did not cave in. And this is what he says. He says, I'll read it again. Here is the patience of the saints. In other words, those who through all the persecution, who through such intense temptation to give way and deny the Lord Jesus, who clung to him in simple and humble faith, they personified the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now verse 13. And then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Now that's what you want to say when you walk through a cemetery. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. I would like to supply a couple of reasons. Actually, God supplies those reasons, but, but I would like to mention them. The first one is right here in our text, reasons that those who die in the Lord are blessed. The first one is this. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. So they have rest. That's the first reason that those who die in the Lord are blessed. If you were here on Monday, uh, you heard Professor Schmeling tell us that as a Christian, we dare not stop striving to keep the commandments of God, and that we dare not allow ourselves to grow cold in regards to Christ, that we must read our Bibles. We must often and regularly take the Lord's Supper to strengthen our faith. And the reason for that, see, is because now, we're fighting the battle that the saints that John was writing to were fighting when they were alive. Now it's your turn to fight the battle, and it's mine. Now it's you who have to take up the shield of faith. Now it's your turn to use the sword of the Spirit. And fighting is hard, especially when you consider we not only have a new person inside of us, but we have an old person who loves to sin inside of us. But blessed are those who die in the Lord because they have ceased from their labor. As long as we wear this sinful flesh, serving the Lord Jesus won't come easy. But, and here is the second reason that those who die in the Lord are blessed, and it is related to the first and actually drawn from the first, and that is because in heaven, we will not have a sinful nature anymore. It won't come hard anymore. We won't have to fight the battle anymore. We won't be tempted anymore by our own sinful flesh, by the world, or by the devil himself. It will be a different place, different kind of place, and you'll be so different. So different, in fact, that St. Paul couldn't even describe it with his fleshly lips once he'd gotten a glimpse of it. He couldn't describe it. So think about yourself for a moment. Don't you always have a nagging thought when you're, when you're by yourself? 
when your phone is turned off, if it's ever turned off, don't you have that nagging thought that you are not all that you were meant to be? That you have never measured up to the potential that God has given you? Maybe because of fear. Maybe because of laziness. Maybe it's because of a negative attitude. Maybe it's because you don't understand your purpose for which God has created you. But you know what that is called when we don't live up to the potential for which God has created us? It's called sin. And that sin doesn't just weigh on your conscience. It has placed a barrier between you and God that makes heaven an utter impossibility for us. Thankfully, it's not an impossibility for God. The things which are impossible for man are possible for God. And when God wants something badly enough, he brings it about. He brings it to pass. And what he really wanted was for you to live with him in eternity, for you to live with him in his kingdom. Now think about that for a minute. Now maybe you say to yourself, I don't know if anybody's ever really wanted me. Uh, somebody has. From all eternity, he has wanted you. But the only way to bring that about, that you could live with him, was to take away your sins. And so that's what he did. He laid his, your sins, and mine too, on his own son, Jesus. And then he punished his own son for those sins. And he punished him until the guilt of those sins was completely gone, that it was completely taken away, and all of the sin that you've ever done is now removed. It was put on him. It's not on you. All the lack of measuring up is gone. And Jesus says, whoever believes on me has everlasting life. And one day, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be changed, and so will I, and you will stand before him unashamed, and you will then be the person completely that you were meant to be. May God grant it for each of us, and may the peace that passes all understanding keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Would you please bow your head with me again? Gracious Father, we pray that you would make us watchful and heedful in awaiting the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that when he shall stand at the door and knock, he may not find us sleeping in carelessness and sin, but awake and rejoicing in his appearance through the same, your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen.
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.